Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I invite the congregation to remain standing for the reading of the scripture this day for our thoughts. These words from Paul to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 3 through 12. Hear now the good news. Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is the faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of the light. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant that is in your word, your grace that is in your covenant, your goodness within your grace, and your love and your goodness and yourself within your love. And may your spirit stand between me and your people so the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. All Saints Sunday each year is an emotional time for me. It's an emotional time for me because as I age each year, I realize that in my age there are fewer years in front of me than there are behind me. And with each year, the great testimony and witness of those who have poured their lives into me, I feel such a, a thankfulness, but there's a twinge that's woven in of guilt that I wish I had remembered how sacred it was at the time it was given to me. 
I was young, I was naive, I was overlooking, I took things for granted, and yet with each passing year, things that are pictures, things like this stole that my father gave to me that he purchased at St. Peter Galacantu, uh, the place where Peter denied Jesus. There's a beautiful basilica there. There is a group and order of nuns that make these. I was able to purchase one when he was with me in 2010, but this is his. And on this day when I wear this stole, and every time I wear it, I feel as though I'm draping the presence of my father around me, and there's a sacredness to it. I dig through my cufflinks this morning because I've got a pair of his old cufflinks on. Even my tie bears witness to the witness of those around me, and I must show you it because every Sunday, Jim Williamson, we used to tease each other and say, that's a great-looking tie. And I said to Jim one day, man, that's a great-looking tie. And on the way out, he took it off and handed it to me. And within a year, unbeknownst to us both, Barbara, we were celebrating Jim's life. I don't just dawn these things to remind me, but every picture... Every memory becomes a sacred encouragement. And, and Paul is writing the church at Colossae. And did you pick up the way in which he pointed so clearly that it's in their memory, it's in what God has done, it's in the midst of what God is doing, that there's a thankfulness that's woven in the midst of the challenge. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. He's saying basically, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Whenever I was in high school leaving uh, the house. Now, there's two things you need to know about my mother. I've told you before. Uh, the first is she's a force with which to be reckoned. Force of nature, right? She asked me once what that meant, and I said, everybody else understands it, Mom. You don't have to. <laughs> she was emergency supervising room nurse. She took a Polaroid picture of the first truck that I drove, a 1976 GMC pickup with glass packs. Had a 454. I thought I was the coolest thing because I had a truck that could rumble. I was so stupid. Do you know how hard it is to sneak in late with a truck with glass packs? My mom was smarter than me even then, and she still is. And she would always say to me the words, remember who you are when I left. And then she said this. She said, remember, you cannot be replaced. And I took that for granted for so many years. I just knew it was part of what was said. Is if, and sometimes we say to others, love you, I love you. And yet during times of difficulty or times of sacredness, those three words have a deeper, more penetrating meaning. And don't forget, church, to each one of you, God says you cannot be replaced. In the context of the great thanksgiving, we will name those individuals who are members of this church who, who died in this past year, and it is as if we are saying through in a liturgical embrace and celebration mixed with grief and joy altogether, we have not forgotten and you cannot be replaced. Others may come along, but you cannot be replaced. Your contribution to each of our lives, your contribution to the body of Christ will have an indelible legacy. And when I read through these names, I have a twinge of laughter, some of whom tease me about my ostrich boots that I wore each week. Some saying I spent a little bit of time in Amarillo, or I have a friend who lives in McKinney where your mom is, or I've got family in Wisconsin where your mom came from. This woven relationship that we have. But when we speak of all saints, here's a couple of things that I think are important for us to remember. The first is this context of really celebrating a, all saints isn't just restricted to those who have been beautified by the church. 
when we look historically, we can go back as early as the mid-300s, and we find that Ephraim of Sirius was actually commemorating a feast of martyrs, a feast of remembering those who had died in the faith. We believe this is the bedrock for 400 years of carrying forth tradition that then in the mid-700s, All Saints Day was declared. But even then, it was more traditionally preserved for those who've been beautified, those who've been lifted to the place of sainthood. But in the last decades, in basically the last century, we've realized that ever since the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation, this sense of being a saint is, re- is not restricted to the sort of obscure, unique opportunities. It's any place and anywhere one has been faithfully following Christ. You see, you're the saints. We read in Ephesians that the work of the Holy Spirit is for the building up of the saints for the work of the kingdom of God. We're all saints in progress. And the church exists not to be a warehouse for the perfect, but a factory for the broken. A place in which we are formed and shaped into what God is wanting to do in and through our lives. One of the treasures that I have is uh, boxes and memories of my grandfather and father's writings. And in, in one of his books that he went to time and again, he's got these little marked in penciled marks whenever he would use a poem or something. There's a poem that he had marked by Bayard Taylor. It's entitled Nameless Saints. The healing of this world is in its nameless saints. Each separate star means nothing, but a myriad of scattered stars break up the night and make it beautiful. A myriad of stars break up the night and make it beautiful. We come to this place. We come to this time of worship. We set this day aside to remember that great is God's faithfulness. And that morning by morning, new mercies we see. That the writer of Hebrews meant what he said, that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that we should run with perseverance the race that is set before each of us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That while these saints, these people whom we love, may be beyond our physical embrace, they are a perpetual presence in our hearts and in our lives. Every photo, every card, every memory enlivens in us the reality that as people of faith, we truly are a part of the great communion of the saints. I love the imagery of the communion of the saints and oftentimes when I will do memorial services and we come to the time of the obituary, we'll talk about those who had preceded them in death and I I love giving that language a bit different feel. Imagine that if we do believe in the communion of saints, which I do fully, that whatever the transition looks like when you close your eyes to this life and you step into the great communion of saints, you're going to see familiar faces. People who have finished the course of their faith, who've run with perseverance the race that's set before them. Or as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, people who have fought the good fight, who've kept the faith, who've finished the race. We're not done running yet. But may God use each of our lives and may we be inspired in this moment, in this day, to remember those who have faithfully lived and died in the faith. Most every funeral that I do, 
I end with this benediction that comes from the hand of my grandfather. It's been used thousands of times. My grandfather used it, my father used it. May God bless the sacred ties that bind us to the unseen world where God has gathered his children for their eternal rest. May the memory of those who have lived faithfully and died in the faith encompass us now, making the distant heavens a home to our hearts. This is the good news. Billy Lund in Nocona, Texas was so right when she looked at me in the eye and she said, Preacher, you aren't doing my funeral. And I thought, well, there's been a lot of preachers come through Nocona. Which one did you like better than me? She said, no. You're going to officiate my graduation ceremony to heaven. Don't you love that imagery? Oh, friends, we come. We come to acknowledge that these that we celebrate are beyond our embrace physically but our perpetual presence with us always. Because the grace, the transcendent truth and power of God, and that place that Revelation calls that new Jerusalem, a place where there will be no more tear and only laughter and joy. May God bless our memories and may we collectively live in a place both of the sadness of physical loss and the joy and certainty that those whom we remember are with us now and we shall see them again. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, 